Welcome back to the Power Podcast with your host, Alexandra Niamouyaboui. I hope you're doing well and ready to conquer the upcoming week. I have a question for you. How much do you know about the fourth industrial revolution, especially the one that is taking place in Africa? For now, there's a lot of excitement and lots of ways of seeing this revolution as the ultimate journey that will bring power to people via digital technologies. You can read this with Western glasses and be somewhat disillusioned when hearing about the great resignation, or you can decide to investigate what's happening in other places. Africa is now less synonymous with poverty, famine, foreign aid, and we're reading more headlines that look like this. Blockchain, crypto, FDI, ROI. I know we will be hearing more about the positive outcome of the digital revolution taking place on the African continent. In this episode, let me introduce Obi Naokwani, an American engineer, tech savvy, with a degree in economics. He is of Nigerian descent and nowadays resides in Kigali. He works at Bank of Kigali as the chief digital officer. Obina is my second Nigerian guest and definitely not the last one. As a producer at African Tech Roundup, I am amazed to see how the blockchain technology is disrupting the African economies, and I don't use this term lightly, how Africa is being changed. To the governments and private companies that are already or ready to embrace the change, enjoy the ride. Barrel Podcast is available to you on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, and Afropods. If you want to know what I'm working on, you can visit my social media pages, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Check the link tree on the show notes. New year, new ways of involving this podcast community. You can support my podcast, namely Parole Sportive for now, via Patreon. Patreon gives the opportunity to creators to, quote, get sustainable income and connect with fans. You can support my podcast by contributing monthly. You can find my Patreon link on the show notes. Listen, leave a comment, and share. Our podcast is today somewhere in, As- in East Africa, and uh, it's although I'm Burundian, uh, I'm aware that uh, there are some other countries in Africa. And today we're in Rwanda, and I'm talking with a Nigerian guy who's over there. And uh, for people who are from the East, they don't know much about West Africa. So, Obina, can you tell us a little bit about you, about Nigeria, obviously? But usually, what what do you think we don't know about West Africans and West Africa in general? I am Nigerian uh, by descent. I was actually born and raised in the U.S., uh, but I did uh, do a bit of school in Nigeria and uh, did business and worked there for about five years before moving to Rwanda. Um, you know, I'd say the thing that folks don't know about us, same thing that folks don't know about many other uh, ethnic groups or regions of the world that they haven't visited. I mean, we are diverse. We are many. I think Nigeria alone, uh, you have over 300 different languages that are being spoken, different you know, tribal identities. Um, it's, it's, the diversity is absolutely crazy. Yeah, I, I think that that is what, I think the diversity of West Africa, I think people don't, people don't know. I mean, Nigeria is primarily English speaking. Um, of course, you still have the 300 other indigenous languages, but right next to Nigeria, you have Togo, and then um, you have uh, Ivory Coast, Senegal, ETC, which also speaks French, and then Ghana, uh, which also speaks English. It's an interesting melange of different languages and backgrounds, you know, colonial history and all of that. I think many, many Black people, uh, non-African Blacks, like African-Americans, many of them 
um, originated from from West Africa, you know, uh, several several generations back. Um, so yeah, you know, diverse and women. And obviously, because we were born and raised in the U.S., uh, we do know that African Americans don't know much about the Africans as well. Yeah. So where did you get to see as uh, the main difference, or what was your cultural shock when you visited uh, Nigeria, or if, if there was any, actually? Hmm. Cultural shock. There definitely was some. I, I, I've experienced worse. So I think I think in Nigeria, understanding power dynamics, um, you know, how a junior person relates to a more senior, whether that's at work or or age wise, you know, within your family. Um, you no, know, there are some peculiarities. Uh, and, and a lot of a lot of outward deference, you know, um, and depending on, on what culture you you observe, uh, you can very like your boss, for instance, they they prostrate, they kind of get on the ground when they see a senior person. Oh, that wow. was so that was so weird. For me. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's the seniors Yoruba man walks to the room and like everyone is like on their knees, like lying on the floor, and it's just oh. the guy. The guy could be a the CEO of the largest bank with 50 billion in assets and he's still doing this. It's like, this is incredible. Yeah. So I think, I think deference to authority, I think that was definitely a culture shock. Let me take you back a little bit about, you know, you know, in the U S and everything, your background, who are you? Who is Obina in the U S? Yeah. So, you know, I grew up middle-class family, born in DC, raised uh, mostly in DC. A uh, bit in Maryland as well. Schooled, went to high school in DC at STEM school. Yeah, did robotics and all of that. Biotech as well. I did quite a bit of biotech in, in high school. I interned at the NIH doing research on um, bacteria before I went off to MIT. I think one thing that I've told some people is that I applied to like 24 schools uh, in high school, and I got into 22 universities come on <laughs> yeah 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 I was, I was one of i was one of those kids wow and... are, you, are you a nigerian or what because you're like okay, engineering and uh, you know and medicine or something like that you're like okay yeah typical. yeah good yeah, for you exactly. wow. yeah, so got into 22 schools chose mit um i ended up studying economics even though i intended to mm. when i came in I, I thought i would study um i was interested in like biomechanical engineering and medicine that was actually what i was interested in when i when i first joined and then slowly I started wanting to understand the world better, you know, society, economies, especially Africa. Like, yeah. you know, why is Africa where it is? Why has it developed this way? What is it going to take to move forward in a certain direction? And I thought that, you know, in the same way biology teaches you about the anatomy of the body and how it works, economics teaches you about the anatomy of society and the economy and how it works, you know? Um, and I just thought it was a great foundation. And um, so far, uh, I haven't been proven wrong. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't regret studying economics. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, outside of, outside of my education, um, I'm super passionate about, you know, our people, um, Africans, and, you know, all of us. You know, uh, and, you know, catching up with the rest of the world, um, you know, building capacity, building products, creating value. You know, in a way where we we benefit, you know, because no one's going to do it if, if we don't. So that's I think that's one of my my that's one been one of my core drivers for a very long time, and um, I think I've expressed this drive through ventures in education and technology and in agriculture. Mm. Um, and currently, you know, I'm focused more on, on fintech. That that's been my my thing more more recently. Um, so yeah, I, I think. In a nutshell, uh, that's a very small piece of you know, 
to him. Instead of like trying to heal bodies and people, you're just trying to heal nations in a continent. I'm just saying. Hey, I mean that is that is uh, <laughs> you know that, that that is that is a very grand way to put it. I mean, I like to think that I'm doing my very small part you know, to contribute, like so many other people are. You know. Yeah, you know? definitely. Yeah, that's that's great because uh, yeah, there's so many things happening in Africa, and, and obviously for people who have been uh, listening to to the podcast, I realized that I myself, having lived in France for quite some you know some time. I've lost track of so many things happening on the ground, but speaking with people who are doing things, it's not to say that there've never been people who didn't do anything, but like this scale, like the scale of just the changes that are happening everywhere, I'm just blown away. So today's interview will be more about the digital transformation. So for people who are scared a little bit and they're like, I don't understand the blockchain and crypto and whatever, let me just start with the fact that I went to this last year or two years ago, I can't remember, COVID time. And I realized like Ethiopia is landlocked in everything, but they're trying to open up. And I saw the difference with mobile money in Nigeria and in Kenya. And they're so ahead of what's happening in France. And I'm like, what is this? Because you read it on the news and you see them and you're like, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, great. Yeah. There's this article on the economies and financial terms. I'm like, sure, that's great. But when you get to see people experiencing the changes, you get to see like, oh, oh, actually, this is huge. And you're playing a part in that. What is, you know, like, obviously, it's easy to say, what is your motivation? Because you wake up in the morning, you go to work, you're changing a city or a region or, or this and that. How did you came up to the realization that something is really moving back then, like back home, home being Africa? Um, that's an interesting question. I, I, you know, I, I'm not a prophet. I don't know any prophets. Um, I, I don't know if most people, my people, people in my peer group really foresaw this. I think the way I describe it is that we worked for it, right? And, and we made it happen. Um, and when I say we, I don't mean myself directly. I mean all of the amazing entrepreneurs like, you know, Boyeji of Flutterwave and Mandela and, you know, Shola and Ezra of Paystack and Benga of uh, Flutterwave. Etc. Et all Nigerians, et by so the way, many... you're just bringing Nigerians sure. on the <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you know, and and you know, it, I, I remember vividly when I moved to Nigeria in 2014, 2015, a lot of these things didn't exist and they weren't even ideas in people's heads at the time. You know, I think you had CC Hub at the time and it was, it was like, it was in the middle of Yaba, like on a highway somewhere, you know, not, not very well. Uh, like then there was no like the signage wasn't even nice you know it was a dingy stairway had to climb up like a dark you know dark room on the second floor of a building and that was that was CCL back then and that was where a lot of uh, these entrepreneurs kind of first started their hustle meeting each other and learning how to code all that stuff you know and then fast forward to 2022 and you know Nigerian startups specifically are raising billions of dollars you know yeah. collectively and it's just like it's like you blinked and then here we are you know yeah, I, I really can't say that I that I that I that I saw it coming. But um, what I knew is that we had a need for so many different things. You know, when when you compare the state of affairs in just financial services technology specifically in say Europe and the U.S. versus what you find in Nigeria or the rest of the continent, um, yeah, it does really it really does seem that we are far ahead, right? Mm. Um, as long as I can remember, bank to bank transfers. You know, default bank-to-bank transfers in Nigeria have been instantaneous. 
you send money, you know, yeah, you send money and then you instantly get a notification, you get a question that's using the funds, uh-huh. you know, failure rate is fairly low, you know, yeah, relatively speaking. In the US today, like that's still not, that's still not the reality for every, every bank customer. Um, in, in Europe, it's the same, right? In, in mm-hmm. Africa, you're able to, uh, to access almost all of your financial services on one platform um, quickly. You know, you open up a banking app, you can pay all your utility bills. This is not the way things are done. In it. It's not the way things are done elsewhere, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to kind of ponder, but I think, I think the advantage that Africa had, right? The advantage or disadvantage, depending on your, on your, on your vantage point, is that we were already so far behind and we just hadn't built some of this infrastructure. Um, and when you spend billions and billions um, of USD and years and, and, and human energy to set up an infrastructure like you know, the US um, mm-hmm. uh, automated, automated clearinghouse and everything, it's been there. And when it was introduced way back when, decades ago, it was groundbreaking. And so you, you have this uh, sunk cost, right? Mm-hmm. And there's just inertia um, to change. Right, and that, that inertia is universal. Whenever you, whenever you have an institution that's long lived, it's doing well. It's pushing numbers. It's making yeah. profits. Like, why would we change, right? Um, but in Africa, you just didn't have that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, within within our lifetimes, we didn't even have phones. You know, like, you know, <laughs> cell phone, cell phones weren't even a thing. With, you know, I, I can remember vividly when cell phones weren't a thing. In, yeah, in, in Africa, I think you're, you know? you're shocking people who were born like after two thousand. They're like, "What is that? This is horrible." Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's it's there, there's so much that we didn't have. Yeah. Um, you know, we went from having nothing. You know, having very few roads, having few hospitals, to having internet and cell phones and all of that. Mm-hmm. And so this was now like what we were accustomed to. You know, like we were native as far as, you know, for us, cell phone technology, internet, these things were kind of native to us. This is all we had known. We didn't know what came before. And so we built, we built our world on top of that, right? Mobile money, uh, you know, which is uh, provided by uh, telecommunications companies, right? Instantaneous bank transfers. Like we did, we, we thought from first principles with the relatively modern technology that, that we had found ourselves with. Uh, when Africa experienced the, you know, its advent of internet yeah. and um, and cell phones, um, and I think that's just what happened. We we started from the back, but because we started from the back, we we were able to start with more modern technology. You know, here we are, and and of course, a lot of great people played played a role mm-hmm. um, in, in making that happen and building on top of these platforms that we found ourselves with. Because I left the country, like I left Burundi in two thousand seven, and. Full disclosure, my dad used to manage a bank in Burundi. And there's some questions I used to ask him. And one of those would be like, what will people pay to access their own bank accounts? You know, and I did do uh, an internship back when I was a student uh, at EcoBank. I'm so grateful for, for the internship because it opened my eyes to, like, to the economy of the nations and things that were happening. And still, it was something really that I found intriguing, to say the least. That people will, you know, just pay for for the access. I'm like, I I don't get it. And having lived in France for years and years, I'm like, I still don't get it, no matter how you put it. But then again, there was changes where, you know, when you access on your phone, you don't need to do that. I'm wondering that the things that, for example, someone who had a bank account in 05 and someone who has a bank account in 2022, uh, I'm putting it like in Nigeria, in Burundi, whatever. What are the main differences other than mobile money, obviously, 
but the financial literacy, the man, the inflation, because you know that's what it is. Are you hopeful? Are you believing that things are really changing for the you know? Obviously, things have changed, but you know what I mean. Like things still like third world country at some point in some cases. Uh, yeah, you know, I I I am of the opinion that we are always moving forward in Africa, right? I think I think countries are moving forward at different paces and in different ways, mm -hmm. but generally, I think the direction is forward, even in an economy that seems to be experiencing a lot of turmoil, like. Nigeria, for instance. I mean, there is turmoil everywhere from the political sphere to the financial sphere, social sphere, ethnic sphere. Um, but despite all of that, like we're moving forward. Roads are being built, technology is advancing, people are getting wealthier, you know, like on, on, on many indices, things are moving forward. Mm -hmm. um, you, you look at a place like, you know, Rwanda, which is a great example where, you know, human, you know, just quality of life indexes uh, are quite high here and continue to improve. Um, and they're also catching up economically, right? So. I, I do think, I mean, it's just that we, on so, in so many ways, we are so behind. And so it's easy to be like, oh, I mean, how can we ever close the gap, right? But I think as long as you have people on the continent, there will, there will be progress. Maybe not as fast as everybody wants it to be, but you know, <laughs> I think forward, forward progress is, is more or less guaranteed. I just think it's, it's, a, it's a principle of life, you know? That's great. So just because you talked about uh, Rwanda and those who know me again, uh, they know that I would like to teach Rwanda because Burundi and Rwanda, you know, you may not know, but you, we know we like to teach each other. And but yeah, there's so many things that happened in the country in the last 30 years and the change, you know, the economic escape that changed really tremendously. What did you know about Nigeria, about Rwanda, sorry, before you landed there? That's a good question. Uh, I think before I landed in Rwanda, I was aware that they had a unique leadership, I'll put it that way, right? Um, you know, all the way back when I was at MIT, you know, you would hear about this inspirational leader who kind of brought, brought a country out of one of the darkest mm. periods um, that any country has faced in, in, in recent human history. Um, and now, the country is attracting visitors and attracting investment and, and things work and they're sending their students to study abroad. Even though I was Nigerian and there was a lot, there are still a lot of amazing things to say about Nigeria. You know, I think Nigeria defies all odds. And sometimes the greatness that comes out of Nigeria defies even reason. You're like, how, how, how is this possible <laughs> in a place like this, you know? Um, so despite all the good things about Nigeria, I, there was, there was something that I envied about Rwandans because um, I'm like, when you guys go home, you have, you have there is a leader that you, that you can look up to, that you can trust. And I think for so many um, Africans, that isn't true. You know, a place like Nigeria, for instance, it is a very different place from Rwanda, for instance, right? Uh, it is a lot more liberal. It's mm -hmm. a lot bigger. It's a lot more diverse. So the structures that work here just couldn't work there. Um, so in Nigeria, people are more independent, more individualistic. You know, the inspiration tends to come from within your circle or you have an internal drive, right? But in a place like Rwanda, um, and by the way, it doesn't need to be like that in Nigeria. If Nigeria did have a central figure, central figures who were leaders who inspired people, I think Nigeria would be even further ahead now um, than where it currently is. But in Rwanda, that's what they have. And I think mm. um, that leadership 
um, has enabled the country to just progress in leaps and bounds in a relatively short span of time. And then that is what I knew about Rwanda. And, and fortunately, you know, fortunately, when I, when I came, when I finally came, I found, I found most of these things to be true. Because sometimes it's like, I mean, there's no way. Like, this, this is a fairy tale. Like, how, you know, we, we've, we've seen all the documentaries and everything like that. But you come yeah. and it's like, it's like, like wow, you yeah. know? And it really challenges so many, so many quote unquote truths or presuppositions that you take for granted, mm -hmm. you know, about how things should be done, yeah. what things should look like, you know? Um, but it's, it's just hard to argue with the evidence, you know, proves in the pudding when it, comes to, when it comes to this country, honestly. We learn a lot. We learn a lot. And uh, I think the leadership over there is really yeah, doing a great job. Yeah. And again, for those who don't know much about um, the country and the banking system, what is Bank of Kigali? So Bank of Kigali is, is the largest commercial bank in the country. Um, it's a private institution, uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's public listed on the Rwandan and, and, and Nairobi stock exchanges. But it is owned, you know, in majority by government institutions. Mm. Um, so, you know, the largest pension fund and then yeah. uh, the sovereign wealth fund. They own, they own over, I think, roughly 60 or more percent of the bank. Okay. Mm. And then you have a large, a large share owned by international investors. Um, you know, some guys out of New York, um, okay. some other folks in Europe. Um, and then, of course, you have local ownership through the public, public listing. We are more than 50% of the, of, of the annual banking profits. There are 16 commercial banks in Rwanda. Um, Bank of Yali makes almost 60% of all the money made. Um, like 65, oh. last I checked. Um, you know, by, by Rwandan standards, this is a, jug it's a juggernaut. Yeah. Uh, you know, 1.2 odd billion dollars in, in assets under management. Yeah, oh, yeah, uh, that's great. You know, I think this year they're on track to do maybe forty. We're on track to do maybe forty million dollars in that net income, PAT, profit after tax. Um, so it's a very healthy institution. Um, it's the, one of the older ones, uh, over fifty years old, uh, pre-genocide. You know, it's been here, and because of you know, leadership, the, the bank has grown like tenfold in the last decade from a very very small bank. Of course, the, like the economy itself has grown tremendously <laughs> in the last twenty years. So has the bank. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so we you know we currently enjoy a very dominant position, yeah, but you know I, we're also yeah, at a stage where we are trying not to be complacent and trying to really reinvent ourselves because banking is changing, and we don't believe that we can sustain our dominance by you know doing things that we've always done. We have to adapt. That's true, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's one of the things that I would like to know about the the innovation and you know digital transformation because again my father used to manage the largest bank in Burundi commercial bank in Burundi so it was like the equivalent of BK but I found that there are so many banks that came in Burundi and uh, the likes of I think KCB Ecobank and oh I may have lost you know it's been a long time but I assume something like Equity Bank or you know those regional banks are doing really great but some national banks will just lose track because of the digital transformations that, you know, that they're not doing. What is your role at BK? Yeah, so as chief digital, I, I'd say that I'm mostly a product leader, right? That, that's mm -hmm. what I tend to do on, my, on, on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, new channels. Um, I think I'd summarize it as creating 
new ways for customers to interact with the bank, newer, better mm -hmm. ways through technology, whether that's an app or a website. That's our primary focus. So we are a team of designers, software engineers, product managers, business developers and, oper and operators. And I think we are like a startup within a traditional institution mm -hmm. trying to build a digital bank from scratch to help the bank reinvent its, its, its core business model. Of course, there's a lot of that. That is digital transformation, right? We're, we're taking a lot of processes and services that once required branch visits and paper forms and wet signatures. And we're trying to take those things online so that we can scale it, right? You know, I, I look at the likes of MTN across mm -hmm. the continent and their reach, their distribution. You know, these are the challenges for banks. You know, the, the retail sector of Africa has been poor for a long time. There are so many reasons for that. You know, money has long been concentrated first uh, in the hands of government. Uh, that, that this is still true in Rwanda today, but it's now moving to the hands of you know large private institutions, banks, telcos, you know, commodities companies, energy companies, right? Moving down to SMEs, and then in some countries, it's moving down to the retail sector. But this is a trend, right? Retail is getting is getting wealthier. Um, so a day comes when it's not enough to have twenty very lucrative government contracts for, you know, uh, loans, yeah. for large projects that are backed with all sorts of guarantees. At some <laughs> point we have to, we have to take risk and we have to, you know, bank and serve the every man and woman. Um, and, and it's not enough to say, Oh, but today it's not profitable. Yeah. But that's changing quickly. <laughs> right. And the kind of money that they can, that they can kind of, equip you with in, in terms of like deposits, you know, and, and the, the number of loans that you can distribute, which contributes to economic growth, by the way, because credit is, is very important. These things become new drivers for bank growth, right? I think in Rwanda specifically, uh, in the SME space, there's over a billion dollars worth of unsatisfied demand for SME loans, right? Currently, Bank of Bigali, uh, our loan book is around a billion or a bit less than a billion dollars, oh. right? So there's there's a whole, yeah. So assets under management is a combination of both loans and the, uh, the deposits and, and a few other things. And it's still below a billion. So th there's actually an opportunity bigger than Bank of Kigali currently in the SME space that's untapped. And I don't know what the numbers are for retail, but I know those numbers are growing quickly. So there's so much opportunity in digitizing so that we can reach more people, right? Uh, how do you serve a million people effectively if you haven't done something like changing the way you do customer experience. Yeah. You, you know, a, a call center with 15 people is no longer adequate, right? A lot of these things need to be automated. Yeah. Otherwise, you have to then grow your, your, your human workforce mm -hmm. at scale with the growth of your customer base, which defeats the whole purpose of digitization, right? Like digitization means more scale, more efficiency. Um, and only technology can kind of afford you that. How do you onboard a million customers in the first place if you require them to visit the branch of your farms? How many branches will you need for that? How many tellers will you need at the branches for that? These are salaries. These are, this is a real estate portfolio. <laughs> this is rents. This is land. These are taxes, right? Um, it bloats, it bloats the, the, the asset, uh, the, the balance sheet, right? It bloats the, uh, the income statement. Increasingly, companies are becoming leaner, right? And faster and with wider reach because they're not tied down to physical infrastructure like banks you know, have, have always been, right? So 
we we have to adjust and adopt a, a lighter business model. Yeah, that is more digital. Yeah, and that touches a lot more people. So, yeah, that, that's that's how I see digitization. All right. So because now you're. I mean, you're sharing about the SMEs, obviously, because it's a huge market. But what about the individuals? Are people like me open um, a bank account at BK and what happens? And, and especially if I'm part of the diaspora? Or... Yeah, I mean, you know, and anyone can open an account um, at BK. If you're, I mean, if you're, if you're Rwandan or have some sort of Rwandan ID or work permit or something, you're the diaspora. Yeah, it's, it's possible. Uh, you know, it still does require a form today. And we're working really hard to change that. You know, I'd say that we are a bank that's trying to transition into a bank that is more retail focused or has a stronger retail program, uh, recruiting people uh, who are specialized in those areas, uh, you know, uh, adopting technology strategies that'll help us to tap into those areas. Um, and I think the opportunity is quite vast, even in Rwanda alone, right? 12 million people. Uh, and I, I don't think, you know, BK doesn't bank 10% of them, right? Doesn't even bank 4% of them, right? Um, so yeah, we have we have a long way to grow, okay. which is great, right? Yeah, um, it means it means the sky is literally the limit. Like we can't even imagine a BK that is that is like strong in, in the retail sector and the SME sector. It'll be a different bank. It could be three to five times as large as it, as it is now. So it's a it's a it's a humongous opportunity. Great. Just because you talked about uh, the stock market at some point and because you're listed there. And uh, for, I guess, lots of people, when you think stock market is more like, you know, NYC and whatever, NASDAQ. And what is the African slash Rwandan stock markets look like nowadays? I'd say we're still nascent overall, right? Mm-hmm. But you, have, you, have, you do have some strong examples. I think Egypt is a very strong example of a stock market. And I think a stock market is ultimately like a reflection of your economy. Absolutely. The size and scope, and also the level of organization. Um, Nigeria, due to the strength of the economy, does have a very active um, stock market, which is increasingly digitized. Right, you can buy stocks now. Oh, apps. Yeah, okay. um, just you know the same way in the U.S. you can buy American stocks on Robinhood or yep. uh, E-Trade. You can do the same thing um, on Nigerian uh, apps such as Bamboo and Chaka. Right. Interesting. And then that is something that is unique. Not a lot of African countries have that. Um, in fact, in Rwanda, the stock market is still, is still very, very small. And of course, the, the, the size of the economy contributes to that. But I think the lack of digitization is probably the biggest culprit because it's really difficult to get access to those, um, to those uh, securities and assets, right? Um, if I wanted to buy stocks, I need to find a, a physical broker. Like, yeah. you, know, you know, in the BK group, we have BK Capital. Which does okay. does investments and you know, financial stuff. Um, I'd have to go to them, find a broker, an agent who can help me yeah. buy. And it's papers I have to fill, documents I have to provide, and then I'm issued a stock, and I have like some sort of certificate that proves that I yeah. have ownership. If I want to sell it, I mean, how do I? How do you even go about that? You need to find someone <laughs> to take a piece of paper from you. You know, um, so you know you can't expect prices to move. So when when we see price movements, it's coming from maybe Nairobi, right? The, the listing oh, on Nairobi exchange where. It's, you know, liquidity is, there's more liquidity, it's more active, it's more digital, you know? Um, so it, it just varies. It, I'm not even sure that in Nairobi, you can buy stocks um, on digital platforms. I might be wrong. You know, I get, I, I've never spent significant time in Kenya, so I, I don't know what's going on there. But I know I do know Nigeria is, is pretty, though. Wow. 
quite far ahead of the curve, you know? Um, so we have, a, we, we have a long way to go mm. to make these markets more accessible for the average person, uh, which allows the average person to access a real like gateway to, 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 to more wealth, right? It makes the market more dynamic. It even allows the incumbents, the banks, um, the, the, the institutional investors in some of these uh, organizations to exit, you know, yeah. because now you have all this liquidity from everyday people. Uh, so it is, you know, uh, digitizing and increasing access. You know, I think it's a matter of survival for these types of markets. And I think it's, it's just inevitable. Things will move in that direction eventually. Great. I mean, uh, for me, when I'm asking, obviously, about the African stock market, it might sound like uh, I'm dismissing them, but not at all, because, I mean, the smaller they are, the, opportunity, the more opportunities for, you know, us, uh, sure. people to buy. I mean, it's better to buy an African stock than to buy a Tesla one. I'm just saying. But uh, and then well, again, I, <laughs> I don't know like, about that. <laughs> I mean, I said easy way. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Nobody has a thousand euros uh, just around. I don't know. Not everyone yeah. has it, you know. Yeah. But yeah. The, the the purpose of it is just if you're going for the long term, it's really I think you feel great when you're buying something from your own country. I'm thinking out sure. loud, but like if you're aiming to buy like an NPN stock, for example, you know, mm. you're part of the game, you know, you're part of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only company that I know in Rwanda will be like Braligua, like the, you know, Heineken. Braligua, like, yes. Braligua. Yeah, the brewers. Yeah. Exactly. And having, you know, say, knowing how Rwandans and Burundians drink, I will assume there will be a great opportunity to, you know, yeah. cash aside. D- definitely. Um, yeah. So, so you, there are definitely opportunities in African equities. Um, to give you an example, this bank, you know, Bank of Kigali, we, we rebounded by 41% in 2021. So if you invested in January 2021, oh. by the end of the year, you would have had a 41% return, which is impressive. Yeah, impressive by any standards, right? So, so definitely there are opportunities. And I think our valuation now is hovering around 300 million USD thereabout, between 250 and 300 million. We make $40 million annually right now mm-hmm. in PAT. And mm-hmm. we've historically grown between 20 and 30% year on year, right? So, I mean, it's- Those it numbers, is, man. It, yeah, <laughs> you, so it's, you, you look at those numbers and you're like, something doesn't add up here. <laughs> um, so clearly there's wow. a massive opportunity. So if, if you can manage to get your hand on Bank of Galley stock, and this is all public information, right? Like, I think yeah. you you do fairly well. And, and, you know, and yeah, so like you said, there are opportunities for sure. There you go. There's no intra- uh, inside trading here, but if you need no. some. Public, Alina, publicly Blizzard. available, <laughs> publicly available knowledge. This is this is all stuff that you can, you can download our, our financial reports and read all of this. This is there just, this is, this is, this is free advice. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, because yeah. those numbers, you'd read them and you're like, okay, this is a joke. But then again, there are so many things happening. And um, I want to ask you about the crypto space and the blockchain space, because obviously it's everywhere. And obviously things are changing. And obviously you're Nigerian, so it does help because you, you know, what is happening? Yeah, there, there, there is so much happening. And <laughs> to say things will change, I think, is an understatement, right? I think one of two things will happen and one is more likely than the other. One is that you know blockchain fizzles out and it's remembered like you know the, the tulip craze, right? Um, or the dot com boom with all these fraudulent uh, whatever. But even after the dot com boom, when the dust settled, you had a new mm-hmm. internet, internet 2.0, right? So, or uh, blockchain literally changes everything, 
mm. with time, right? It changes, it changes the, the it changes the concept of nationhood, of statehood, it changes the concept of money, it changes the concept of investments. Yeah, I, I think I think the latter is way more likely than the former. And we can also we can already see signs of the latter uh, starting to kind of take root. You know, you look at DeFi, you have uh, investment bankers from Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley leading to decentralized protocols where they collect money from retail investors and all sorts of investors all over the world, issuing tokens and then investing and lending that money and generating returns, right? All on the decentralized platforms without the big name brands and everything. You know, you can see cross-border payments uh, becoming a lot easier with the likes of Bitcoin, right? Yes, yeah. You know, you can you can obviously see the swelling of the market cap for crypto crypto uh, in general, right? It's in the trillions, you know, right? So there is so much happening. Yeah. Um, and I know there's a lot of skepticism, but, you know, <laughs> one, one can, you cannot, no one can deny, no one can deny that something is happening. And to give you an example that's relevant to banking, right? When we talk about DeFi and mm-hmm. some of these protocols that investment bankers are leaving established institutions to join as, as, a, as a customer, as a retail, as a normal person looking mm-hmm. for a place to, to, for somewhere to put your savings. Let's say you, you've managed to store up five grand, 10 grand, and you want to invest somewhere where you can get returns. Some of these decentralized protocols are giving you know, uh, annual, uh, you know, annual uh, interest returns, 9%, 10%, 15%, 20%, you know, on things, numbers that are unheard of in banking. You know, <laughs> yeah. in, in Africa, you can manage to get maybe 8, 9%. At, at Bank of Kigali, we give between 6 and 9% mm. um, uh, interest returns on your, on your savings that you that park with us, right? Which is in great, the US, yeah, yeah which, which is amazing, right? Mm. In, in the US, if you get 2%, you're like, oh my God, this bank is 2%, you know? <laughs> And then in Europe, they have they have the, they have the, the nerve to give you negative <laughs> interest rates in some places. Like they'll actually take your money from you with them. Like it is, and now you have globally, you know, um, you're able to you're able to give anyone. You know, you could be a farmer in the mountains of Ethiopia, mm-hmm. and as long as you have a phone and some cryptocurrency, you can you can put that money in a decentralized, I guess, money manager. Yeah. that'll return you 9%. And, and that money could be, could be, you know, your money could be lent in part to companies in Russia, companies in New Zealand, <laughs> in Alaska, like remote parts of the world that you'll never see in your lifetime, yeah. right? But you're making returns on that. And I think that's the promise of crypto, like a true globalization, um, true globalization and, and, and access to opportunity for people in every, every corner of the world. Yeah. So that should or will or is African... Um, are actually African banks should be scared, worried, or just expecting the best for them because they're they could drive this new wave and you know just say we want to learn more. The Inaira yeah. in Nigeria, obviously, yeah. is one example. I, you know, that, that's a that's an interesting question. You know, I, I don't want to say that African banks should be scared, right? <laughs> I don't I don't think scared is the right. I would encourage them to to move around feeling scared, but I think they should be aware and they should be cautious. Mm. And I think. You know, it's one of those things that doesn't it doesn't it doesn't happen overnight, right? I think there's safety for maybe another decade, right? It's possible, but I think things will still change dramatically leading up to that the end of that that decade that, that's counting down. You know, um, I think less and less market share is going to be there for banks and traditional institutions unless they digitize. Because you know, I'm, I'm not one who thinks that banks are necessary. I think Bill Gates famously said, or is 
is he is if he is said to have said that <laughs> banking that banking is necessary, mm-hmm. banks are not right. Um, you know, earlier you were saying that in France uh, people pay to keep their money in the bank. That isn't a strange concept for me because I think banks and custodians of, of value they offer you they 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 offer something right. Your money is safe. You're not keeping your your coins under your bed where a robber can come and take it, right? It will be very difficult for them to take your money if it's in a bank. Like that is just, it's a very different, it's a very different requirement to rob a bank than to rob somebody's house and take money from under your bed, right? Um, they can offer you loans in exchange because they see your financial health because you deposit them in a bank and transact through them. They can offer you returns on your saving uh, accounts with them, right? So mm-hmm. banks offer tremendous value, but all of these different things, whether it's custody of the value, that is now decentralized on the blockchain, right? To a certain extent, even though the UX needs a lot of work, um, giving you returns on your holdings and your savings. This is now done as, as, a, as a native service and feature of the blockchain. You stake a coin, you hold it in, in, a, in, in one of the exchanges and they, they give you interest on it, right? And, and even lending you money, you can now get crypto collateralized loans, right? I think, and right now you have a very disaggregated universe of crypto offerings, right? And I think the future is one where companies figure out how to consolidate many of these services mm-hmm. so that it looks more like a bank, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, store your money with us, right? Yeah. Okay, put, put it put it in a, in a savings wallet and we'll give you X percent annual interest, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and since you have this much with us, we can issue loans at this percentage rate, right? It's it is it's a whole new world, and yeah. I think the best way to describe it is that it it, it it has the potential to remake the world that we already know. You know, the, the world will look a little different, but I think, you know, the things that we'll actually be doing will be the same: storing money, saving money, yeah. investing money, right? Yeah. But now, um, you know, the platforms are a lot more accessible. The platforms are global. The opportunities are global, right? Um, things are faster, more reliable, more transparent, right? Um, and yeah, and ultimately things just kind of get better, right? Um, yeah, that's 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 how I see it. So I'll I'll tell the bankers, the African bankers, well, wake up. If not, be scared, uh, but wake up. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I include the African Union for whatever reason, because of stuff <laughs> in the economic space as well. Uh, let me finish with this uh, because you talked about you know obviously leadership and you know how it changes a nation and everything. Because you're Nigerian, then again, Nigerian-American. American, I can talk about Barack Obama, but then again, let me focus on Nigeria because I have this one woman that I admire who is uh, doing great things in a watch, I don't, World Trade, uh, what is that? WATU, organization. So Ngozi. Uh, Ngozi uh, There you go. I, I'll yeah. usually say the first name <laughs> and then the Nigerians say the rest. What, what type of leadership do you think we need for us Africans, you know, to wake up and say, hey, there are people who are willing to do the work. And I'm not saying that she's perfect by any means, but she's not to, to, you know, to have done things for the country uh, for years and now she's doing it on a global scale. But then again, because she's African, I was, I think, the only one excited here in France. I was like, I don't care if she messes, if she messes up the whole economy, but she's African. So, I'm, you know, I'm laughing, but I'm laughing at the same time. Uh, what type of leadership do you think we all need to see in order to kind of inspire us and inspire the next generation? That's, that is an interesting question. There's, there's a saying about relationships. Um, all bad relationships are uniquely bad, 
um, like bad for very unique reasons, but all good relationships are good for the same reasons. Um, I, I'd say the same thing about leadership. Bad leadership is bad for so many different reasons. Good leadership, all good leaders share some traits, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think there is, you know, there's an element of raising other leaders for any good leader, right? Because delegation is very important. But if you're going to delegate, the people that you're delegating to need to be approaching your level of strength and competence, right? And you need to be um, free, open, um, and secure enough to allow people to, to blossom and become strong like you so that more of the work can be shared. I think there is an element of obviously competence leading from the front initiative, uh, you know, like really having subject matter expertise uh, related to the organization that you're leading, having uh, a lot of experience, uh, progressiveness, being willing to take risks and move forward, even though it might cannibalize some things that you've already worked hard for, right? If business models are changing, you cannot complain that, oh, we've already made X number of investments. Now you're telling me to change again. Like that just might be the requirement, right? <laughs> so a, cert- a certain willingness to continue changing and continue pushing because um, we have a long way to go. We, we, we can't afford to take any breaks along the way, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I think African leaders need to be relentless as well. I, I wouldn't say that age is, is a huge thing. I'd say mostly the things that tend to be correlated with age are what's more important. And you can have some of these things that are correlated with age at any age, right? Mm. The, the progressiveness, um, the, 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 the willingness to embrace and pursue change, and then the subject matter expertise, you know? Um, and I think, you know, the ability to raise other leaders. One of the things um, about Africa that I've found is at a stage, you don't have a lot of talent, right? Nigeria was like that at some point. There wasn't a lot of talent. Uh, software developers weren't that great. Designers weren't that great. But you might have seeds of good designers and seeds of good engineers who need the opportunity to become great. When they become great, people who work with them also become great. Now you have more great people training other great people. And then it kind of grows geometrically or exponentially. And all of a sudden you have a Nigeria where um, we have some of the best designers in the world that could stand toe to toe with any UX or UI designers anywhere else. Same thing with, with software engineering. Um, it wasn't like this six years ago. It just wasn't. It took time and it took leadership that created opportunities for people to grow, right? So I think in Africa, there needs to be a commitment to creating opportunities for people to build capacity. It benefits both the institution itself that you're leading, because now you have great people who you can delegate to and who can deliver great work at a world-class level. And it's, it's also great for your, your local society and for Africa at large, because I think the strength of our economy, the size of the economy, um, is strongly related to, as it is in you know, any country, to the abilities, our, our, our ability to harness our resources, to solve our own problems, build our own products and sell them to ourselves and to everyone else, right? Yeah. Um, but we need talent. Mm. Um, so leaders should be invested in building capacity That's and allowing great. people to grow and have opportunity. Um, let me take you back before I finish, but because you talked about the software developers and designers, uh, where did you get them? How do you hire them? Are you working with the likes of uh, Andela or are you just working on your own team building or team hiring? So, so my, my background, I've, I've done a lot of capacity building. You know, I've mm-hmm. started organizations dedicated to education. Um, you know, I used to run a boot camp. I, I call it a, a skills accelerator for software engineers. We would take recent grads and over the course of a three-month, four-month program, um, turn them into junior software devs and then place them in roles at 
banks and investment funds and the likes of Flutterwave and VGG in Nigeria. And I've been teaching robotics for a long time as well. Um, so I, I have a long history of teaching. And I'd say that, that my part of, you know, one of my unique strengths as, as a leader is the ability to groom people. And so, you know, like, like I had just said, I think you have a lot of seeds, right? Or you call them rough, rough gems, right? That need an opportunity to polish themselves, um, a space where they can grow and, and learn and make mistakes. Um, so I, I strongly believe in that, right? So we, we hire the talent that, that we have on the market, um, give them opportunities to do great things. And what's most important is the structure. Is there a way for them to build capacity well, right? Because, you know, if you're an athlete, there are different ways to practice. You can practice poorly, or you can practice properly, right? You can practice and, 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 and get ingrained in bad habits. We can practice and, you know, internalize great habits. You know, we need senior builders or senior people, you know, artisans, um, uh, lawyers, accountants, engineers, whatever the, 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 the skill set is, who can mentor the more junior ones. Um, the way we've done that, uh, you know, we, we invest heavily in leadership positions, right? If we need to get someone who is not local, who is demanding a premium, you know, we, we, we do the calculus and figure, okay, but this is the benefit they're gonna bring, they're gonna do great work, great work themselves, but over the course of two, three years, everybody who reports them is going to be leveled up 10X, right? In a way that they wouldn't have been if we had gotten a cheaper lead. You know, we established a lot of partnerships with, with international companies who can consult with us. And my requirement is always, you must build capacity, right? So mm -hmm. we'll have, you know, we'll have a, a six month project and maybe for the first month or two, the consultants are doing and we are watching, right? Okay. You move into the third and fourth month. Now it's like half and half, right? Uh, the consultants are doing some, and we are also doing some. By the by, the by the last two months, it's the consultants are watching, and we are doing. And then after the six month, you know, um, engagement, now the consultants are gone, and you don't even notice they're gone because oh, nice. the team, because the team that we have, they mm. picked up so much, and they're delivering delivering at an adequate level, if not a highly impressive level, right? And so. And if you look at what you pay some of these consultants, consulting teams, and they deserve every penny, and they're amazing people, sometimes you're getting 10x, 20x the value out of a local talent based on how much you're paying them, right? Mm. And how much you know you'd have to pay a foreign individual to give you the same thing. And of course, that, that, kind, of, uh, that kind of gap, that kind of arbitrage, mm -hmm. it, it means that the market is inefficient, so it's going to close eventually, but that's the kind of opportunity we have now. Good leaders can create that kind of outsized leverage for their organization by investing in talent, right? For a year or two, you can have somebody who is 10 to 20X more effective, give you 10 to 20X more value than what you're spending on them, right? Because you're giving them an opportunity to grow, you're giving them that environment, and they're also delivering great work at a high clip. So that's my philosophy around hiring talent, you know, and then creating the products and making it, it all work together. That's great. Thanks for, for this feedback. And uh... yeah. Although I'm not, I'm no software developer. I feel like I want to join BK just because of the <laughs> mentality. So yeah. Yeah. it's funny because talking with you, it's funny. It's like I can see the Nigerian guy, the African person, but I, I hear more the American guy, the American business way of doing things. And it's so funny because it's like obviously <laughs> you have the the right brain and the left brain, and I'm like, oh yeah, sure. They needed you. That's why they brought you here. So <laughs> good for them. 
So because uh, I like to finish on this call usually by asking people what kind of things they do, what kind of books they read, inspire us, you know, your background, your, you know, studies are quite impressive, your side projects are quite impressive as well. What should African read? Obviously they do read, by the way, I'm just uh, speaking out loud, but for you, what do you see in 2022 going forward? Should we all learn how to code? Should we all learn how to, Mm. I don't know, do the AI thing or whatever, or just read philosophy and, you know, novels and whatever. What do you read? Very good question. So I, I, what do, what I read, I, I, I've always been big on philosophy books that make me think about yes think, think, books that make me think about and question reality and, and understand mm. it in different ways and look at it from a novel perspective um, a book that I'm reading now that I've been reading for a long time it's just a long book it's called The Sovereign Individual it was okay. written I think it was published I think in 1999 before the Y2K thing that never happened and this book is the most prescient piece of literature I've read in a very long time. It's, it's like a thousand pages and every page is filled with zingers. You know, it's, wow. you know, it just, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, and it predicts a world where, um, it predicts a world where cryptocurrencies are a thing. And we didn't even understand the concept back then, right? It predicts a world where, <laughs> you know, war, war becomes unprofitable because of, you know, monopoly on violence and, and, the, and the strength of, the, of new, you know, new modern weapons. It talks about all these things. And it really makes wow. you think about the, the nature of society, the nature of the economy, and, you know, what the progression over, over the course of history has been and, and what central themes really can help you predict what's next you know um so i I think books like that i really enjoy them um i think africans should definitely read some of these things uh african history as well is extremely important Mm. um you know african political history colonial history pre-colonial history um i think understanding where we're coming from as a people um can help you dream dream about where we can go right you know if, if if all your life all you've known is poverty and being like the dumping ground of the world and all of that it's easy to be discouraged and feel like, well, I mean, this is what we deserve. You know, how can we be, be better? But you know, Africa has a very complicated history. So does the world, right? And I think it's worth understanding, you know, Africa's journey. And then it's also important to understand the journey of other countries that we look at today and we think, oh my God, they're so amazing, right? But they weren't always like that, right? <laughs> and and unfortunately, the, the reality, like what if, if history is, 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 a, is a teacher, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, Absolutely. no nation remains dominant. Right. And it sucks because it's like, well, you're, you're enjoying it now. But honestly, like nations rise and fall. That's always happening. Yeah. I don't know if that trend has stopped, but this is just this is just what happened. So um, I think it's important to understand what's happened in the past, why it happened so that you can kind of project them on the future. Um, and then I think lastly, learning new skills, adding more bows to your quiver. I think that's really important. Learning to code, I would I would highly recommend. If only Which language then? So I, I wouldn't be specific about language because it, it really depends on what you want to do with code. If you okay. want to build beautiful interfaces, you know, go learn JavaScript. Even though JavaScript is probably not the first language you want to learn because of its, its quirks, um, I'd say maybe go for Python. Okay. I think Python is a great language to learn. And I think you know, learning to code, I think, is about learning about uh, learning learning about how computers work, learning about logic and sequence and flows and all that stuff. It's a different way of thinking. And you know, you know, just because you know how to code doesn't make you a great engineer. You, have, you also have to be a great problem solver. But I do think that everybody should at least be exposed because it will, it will help to, to, to demystify so many things, yeah. uh, so, many, so many things that we take for granted these days. 
if you start to understand what's what's working behind sure. it. Um, so yeah, I, I think like data structures, how things are stored in databases, I access them. You know, it's I think these are good things to understand at least at least at a high level. Um, and that's not that's for coding, but 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 I think financial literacy is also super important. Right. I think everybody should be able to think about their money in terms of interest rates and, mm. and you know, risk, you know, risk management, and portfolio diversity and all of that, um, because it's important. Um, it empowers you to make good decisions about your finances. Yeah. You know, helps you plan for retirement, save towards big goals um, and live, live a better life. So, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's what I think. African that's great. Really, I mean, uh, we yeah. should all learn how to code. I'm learning Python, still learning, but um, yeah, it reminds me of my parents or my mom when she knew about, <laughs> she learned about internet. She was like, this is the devil because everybody was scared, oh, wow. you know, until yeah. she realized like, actually I can, you know, this is really useful. And yeah, uh, yeah. so we should learn and forget that um, we should learn that things change only, you know, for those who are remaining standing still, don't change, they die. But yeah, that's true. Basically, what's next for you then? What's next for Mr. Obina? Next um, five years, so, where do we find you? Goldman Sachs? Goldman Sachs Africa? <laughs> what, what is the plan? You know, uh, that's, a, that's, that's a, I, so I, I am notorious. You know, my nature isn't, isn't, isn't such that I, I try to project too far in the future. I'm, I'm very much a, a, a person who lives in the present <laughs> and takes, takes advantage and, you know, puts my all into the moment. And so I could talk about this year, maybe the next year. I think, you know, we have... We have a broad mission at the bank, um, and there's a lot of impact that we can create. Um, we're launching an app this year, which will introduce oh. new features such as card management and um, and oh, digital nice. customer onboarding. Yeah, and you know, a, a rich, a rich, a fully featured banking experience uh, available in the palm of your hand. Right? Um, it's uh, you know, it's it's novel to a market like Rwanda, but it's Definitely. not novel to a market like the UK. Yeah. Um, and we we really want to to set a standard for digital banking. And we want to do it at a world-beating level, right? We want you to look at our app and our services, and we want you to think about Monzo and mm. Revolut yeah. and Nubank and N26, right? So we don't just want to do it and compete with our peers here. No, we want to be good because, you know, one of my core beliefs is uh, as long as it involves code, there should be no limits. It's all about human capacity Come and on. your ambition, you know? Oh, and wow. I think I, I want to see us launch an app that, you know, attracts praise from all over the place. And I think that the real win, I think, be beyond uh, more sophisticated digital services in the hands of Rwandans and, and other Africans, um, I think it's the fact that we've built this capacity in-house. We, we nurtured it, we cultivated it. And now we can, we can sustain this level of output, right? That's yeah. the real win, right? So, yeah. you know, one of the things that I say about my division, the digital factory, is that we're a factory that builds incredible products right? By building up even more incredible people, right? And I think that people bit is, is the real win. And so if we can achieve that this year and other, there are a bunch of other projects as well, internet banking, mm -hmm. so much sure. digital lending product that we're working on. I think I'd say that I've achieved what, what, I'm, what I'm put here to achieve. And who knows, who knows what comes after that? Come on. What about, because yeah. I, I have a Revolut uh, account. I'm not going to lie. Their yeah. uh, customer service is really bad. I'm not even joking. And actually, I have to deal with something with a, their credit card, my credit card, and something that I bought, purchased online on a French site. They, they're like, no, this is not doable. And then again, it's just, I told you that it's terrible. There's so many things. Yeah. I know that I can't yeah. call Revolut, 
but I know that it's really frustrating for a customer to not be able to, you know, to call people. So I hope you will manage to do the customer service on point, honestly. You know, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, customer service currently isn't in my, in my, um, in my portfolio, but mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I, I recognize how important it is, right? And, you know, I think companies take this for granted. However good your app is, if like you said, customers can't call and get a solution, Or, or when they do call, you're not nice, or you don't solve their problem quickly enough. This will this will destroy you, and it's one of those things that that destroys you very slowly because you don't have customer service issues in the beginning when you're scaling, right? When you're small, and your team is small, mm. and your customer base is small, um, you can afford to have you know crappy processes to you know organize customer queries. Sure. But as you start growing, I'm you need to become a lot more sophisticated the way you organize yourself around customer service, and and. And unfortunately, right, like at that point, you would have raised so much money, mm. you know, you have all these customers that are signed up to your app, but someday the rug will be pulled from underneath you. Yes. You know, I'm this close to leaving them, but then again, exactly. I'm going to give you six months and then I'm like yeah. three months. So yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Lord. yeah. Folks, you know, people don't, I think, I think this is unfortunately overlooked. And, and I think, you know, I've never worked at Revolut. Um, I don't know anyone there, um, but in my experience, I think culture is a huge um, factor in how good your customer service can be. You know, how well you treat your employees is how well your employees will then treat your customers, mm, right? Um, a, person, a person said recently that, uh, you know, the best employees are customers who lost their way permanently. You know, people who love your company, love your product, and then they just came to your office and they just, they just we love you so much, we're going to work for you, you know? Um, if you have employees like that, Uh, they, that is, I think that is, that's already more than half of the battle. And then after that, you just need structures and processes and maybe software that can help you manage all that mm. stuff. So I think, I think we're very aware. We're aware of the impact of good customer service and, you know, hopefully, hopefully we're able to deliver that. Come on. Let me finish with yeah. the fact that Paul Podcast is available if you want to do some advertising here on your app. <laughs> BK, hey, yeah. Alex is available because we're actually broadcasted in 70s. 72 actually don't want to be precise okay. countries but african diaspora are listening and um they're like most of them are like bank of kigali it's a small country because nigerians they tend to make so many jokes about burundi because it's a small country <laughs> nigerians i met actually they're like what is that it's the size of my city or my neighborhood i'm like hmm but we're great that's the thing uh bubina thanks very much for your time this is uh it's been a really a blast to just hear about what's happening you know in you know in my neighboring country and to to feel that excitement that i can even applaud rundins you know you know i'm this close to saying <laughs> yes. hey but if on, you're looking on behalf of rwandans everywhere you're very welcome <laughs> <laughs> I'm this close to saying, hey, if you're about, if you don't mind coming to Burundi and visit the country and then realize there's so many opportunities because obviously because we're coming from far, you'll do great things. So if you want to work in Burundi, let me know. It's not like I have uh, the ability to hire you there, but you know, I know people who know people. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for uh, very much, and uh, I think I'll see you in five years. Honestly, something like Goldman Sachs or SoftBank Africa, like VC world type of banking space. Uh, let's say maybe <laughs> maybe <laughs> two years actually. You don't know. So, but thanks a lot and take care. Thank you so much, Alex. Have a good one. <laughs>